Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. What's up, internets, and welcome to another Fan Bros special delivery. Uh, As always, I'm Chico Leo, and I am flying high above the Brooklyn night. It is a chilly Brooklyn night, but luckily I am joined by Ilavon Doom, the Emperor. What's good, Cesar Chico? You and the Acolytes. Um, the you know, oh, the Chico Lights. Yes, yes. yes. You're well, leading them to the fan bros have joined us. Um, well, you know, there's there's uh, there's a lot of, lot of good TV that I'm catching up on. Uh, you know, the weather's turned, but I got a I got a few days in to wear my really dope. Cowboy Bebop hand painted leather uh jean jacket that I picked that I uh had commissioned at Comic Con before Yo, it got too cold. That jacket was so dope. I think that was, is her name Julie Anderson is the artist. That's right. That? Julie yes. Anderson, fantastic talented painter. She does sneakers, she does jackets, she does tapestries, and she does comics. So you should you should look her up and check her out. And if you uh if you go on my on my Twitter stream, you can see uh, if you go go a couple of days back or maybe even a week back, you can see some dope uh, dope photos. Yo, you have to put that on your uh, your Instagram, man. Let people. know. I guess that's true. I know, I know. Well, you know, I got a lot, a lot, a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. But um, yes, it's always busy in the Chicoverse. It is, it is, and you know, there's 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 repairs to Castle Chico that have to be made before the winter comes, and. Uh, you know, repairs to the escape pod and catching up on all kinds of TV uh, that, you know, filled up the DVR during Comic-Con. But I'm, I'm mostly caught up. And uh, I think uh, we can start tonight by talking about a really, really dope episode of The Walking Dead. Uh, the episode was called JSS, uh, directed by Jennifer Lynch, David Lynch's daughter. Um, so JSS stood for just survive somehow, stupid? somehow, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, survive yeah. somehow. Not stupid. Yeah. No, just survive somehow. And that was, uh, we got Enid who got the cold open where we, uh, we got her origin, which showed like a really ill scene of her and her parents in the car, the zombies descending on it and then just cuts to like 20 minutes later. And she's sitting in the car covered with blood and, everybody's dead and the zombies feeding and it's just generally a, a, a bad scene. So I, I was, I wasn't disappointed with the pilot, but I was slightly underwhelmed because their pilots are always really good. And this made up for everything. Um, I really wish if they had done a, not pilot, the premiere. Yeah. That's what I, I'm about I, to say. Okay. Yeah. I, if they had done a two hour premiere where they showed last week's and this week's, I think it would have been the best premiere of any show ever, uh, or at least since since Lost went with the cold open with Desmond in the second season. That's a good idea. Actually, now that I well, I mean, I like some people were kind of disappointed with the premiere and the numbers were down on it. But I actually enjoy, you know, their premiere for what it was. Um, I thought, it, you know, it made good use of everybody. And then this one. It was super dope. It was very intense. I think you're right. If they had made it a double episode and just made it a full two-hour-long movie, I, I think, yeah, it would have been going down because tonight's episode was so intense and so dope. 
I mean, the only person who was in both episodes was Morgan. And I remember during the pilot being like, where's Carl? Where's Carol? Where's Maggie? Like that kind of thing. I mean, I guess they showed them in the meeting. Because I know we did see some stuff with Glenn and Maggie. And I did like the flashbacks and flash forwards and the black and white and the color and all of that in the uh, in the premiere. Yeah, they were all in it. Carol was there. Um, Maggie, all everybody was in the in the premiere episode, but in this episode, the Daryl and Rick and uh, Michonne. Right. And, it, the, and none of the people who are out on the uh, you know hurting the zombies, except for Morgan. I guess he he got back in time. Um, but none of the other yeah none of the other characters were in this one, and so it would have felt uh, I don't know a little fuller. Man, if they in fact, yo. Yo, spoilers, because let's just get right to it. How awesome and how badass was Carol? Like, she oh, was yeah. on a tear. She was fucking Terminator Carol. I, I loved it. And the silent kind of um, dichotomy between her philosophy, which is take no prisoners, punisher style, and Morgan's more Batman, you know, I'm going to find the other way. I mean, it was just dope. You know, when Morgan subdued this one guy... Because uh, this episode, we finally find out who the wolves are. And the wolves attack right. the sanctuary of Alexandria. And they're the ones responsible for that horn you hear at the end of the premiere. Um, and they kind of go. No, and that them. was dope. The the explanation of how, like, they, you know, again, you know, they just, uh, you don't know at the end of the, the premiere where there's this horn going off and it distracts all the zombies. And you think that it's like an air horn that was intentionally set. But we see in this episode that it was just, you know, dude in the tower shot the truck driver truck driver rammed or was 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 i mean so one thing i didn't get was was it a the truck driver got shot died and then came back to life as a zombie or did they stick a truck with a zombie to send crashing through the gates they stuck a zombie in there because when you when they open the door it's a zombie wedged up in there on the air horn so the truck kind of comes in with the horn well I think because it could have been the driver snafu. having been shot. I don't know how quick you, uh, you know, you turn nah, after nah, you nah. die. He, he, but he wouldn't turn. I guess yeah. No, he was all rotted. It was it was it was an existing zombie. It wasn't just. But I don't. Uh, someone I don't died. remember if the horn was going off as the truck just drove up. You know, because it was no. the truck, and I thought it was silent. And I think that the zombie, yeah, no, it was when it crashed, so it was unintentional, which was dope. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the wolves come over the fence and just start hacking people up. I mean, they don't, they kept chopping people with machetes and axes. And so they, they, what's interesting about what you were talking about, that dichotomy between Morgan and Carol's philosophies is both of them at the end have sort of failed. Um, well, not Carol with her killing people, but she told the woman, she was like, go smoke outside. You know, it's, you know, smoking's going to kill you or whatever. And of course, when the woman goes to smoke outside, she's the first victim of the first wolf who comes over. Um, and, and he just hacks her up. Um, and so Carol, I think felt sort of guilty or I don't even know if she feels guilty at this point, but you know, there was none intent. The woman wouldn't have been outside if Carol hadn't have told her to go outside and Morgan by letting some dudes live, one of them gets a gun and the whole thing they seem to have is savagery and numbers, but they don't have any firearms. So now that's changed. And that's because if Morgan had been ruthless, like Carol, he would have killed those dudes and, and they would not let them go. Yeah, I mean, I had a flashback to um, 
that moment where I guess it was uh, what's my man's name? The other black guy who's Dave Chad Coleman's character. Oh, Tyrese. Tyrese, his name, because he was so fleeting and kind of had such a minor impact on Walking Dead. It, it escaped me that quickly. But um, how Tyrese. He had kinda, some good stuff with Carol. How he let that one guy go and who came back right. to end up, you know, eat on old boy's leg later. Um, so it's like, I was like, that that's one of those moments where Morgan sees him grab, he grabbed the gun and walked off. And I was like, uh-oh, this is going to, I can see this coming back to bite him in the ass in a couple episodes. Well, the so. show hammers that home. If the show has one theme, it's that you absolutely, it's basically in support of Rick and Carol, you know, they're, they're that point of view, that philosophy that you absolutely have to be ruthless. You have to do what it takes to survive. I mean, the, pro- the problem is both of them are the ones who seem in danger of losing their humanity, you know, or, or going nuts. You know, I wasn't even thinking of Mercy when she shot the dude, but like clearly you want someone to question to find out what the hell's going on, who they are, you know, even if you have to torture them. And so I just thought her, you know, just just rolling up and shooting the dude while he's tied and on the ground, I, you know, it 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 didn't seem uh, it seemed like you want to get him and start interrogating him. I don't know. Well, I mean, many would argue that the theme of the show is they can't have like one or two black people existing at the same time. So right. they've kind of deviated from that. But aside from that, um, it's definitely the fact that, like you're saying, Rick and Carol are the Walking Dead. I mean, they're. They're zombies. They've lost it. To survive in a in this world, you have to lose your humanity. You can't be sensitive. You can't be passive. You can't be what you were in the old world. And Morgan almost learned that the hard way. And that's what the dude right. said. The wolf saw him. And, you know, later in the episode when he confronts him in the house, he's like, I can see you, you're going to let me go. You aren't going to you don't have it in you to kill me. You know, and Morgan had to, like, nut up and take that that uh staff to his his dome. And let him know, you know, and he had to break that. He has to realize the world he's living in. But I don't think well, Carol, I don't think Carol, no. lo- um, I don't think she cared about old girl dying in terms of like from a consciousness perspective. Because she thinks they're, she to me comes across thinking they're all weak. I right. think she may feel like partially responsible, but I don't think she like ultimately is like guilty about it. But I do think that after the battle, when she's sitting there kind of relieved and pondering, smoking, it's like. You know, it's been a it's been a long day of murdering people. You know, right. I, I've murdered them for forty five minutes. I haven't even thought about my casserole. You know, it's like you know, I need to smoke. Well, I mean, the the thing is about what why they haven't lost their humanity is Rosita has a line in the episode where she's talking to one of the people from Alexandria, and she's like, you know, you need to have a reason to, you know, you need to have something to die for to have a reason to live, and so, you know, there is the notion that the group provides you with a certain level of humanity and certainly something to die for, you know, as we've seen by, you know, at this point, probably a majority of characters who've been in Rick's group have died at this point. I mean, they get replaced by other people, they get eaten. Um, So, you know, they, they, they do have that in that, you know, there is this sort of tribal, you know, allegiance that they all have to each other. And including Rick and Carol. But um, other than that, they, they don't seem to have much hanging on. So somebody goes through one of the wolves' bags. I'm not sure if it's Morgan. No, it's one of the dudes from Alexandria. It's yeah, the son Aaron. of Deanna's son. Right. And and finds photos that, have, that look like they've been taken from within. So it seems like there's a spy. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, was that? I mean, you've read the comics, right, or not? Yeah, I have. Yeah, so I haven't. So I don't know how much this is deviating from what's in the comics, and I don't. You know, we're not giving uh, you know comic spoilers, but I didn't know what those photos portended. You know, that either someone snuck in and took those pictures, or more likely someone infiltrated, or at least that's what I'm thinking. Um. So I don't know. We also didn't see, you know, it could have been Enid. You know, she was ready to leave. We saw her show up, but we didn't necessarily, you know, see what happened before that. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, just survive somehow. Uh, yeah. I mean, we see all that, but I, I don't know. To me, the big takeaway from the episode was really just the Morgan Carroll dynamic and just seeing how cunning and ruthless and and crafty and capable carol is yes and you know she just has guile and it also plays on the line that she had with morgan where morgan kind of he read her in the premiere you know he's like I, he sees her watching and he see, he was like asking her if she's a cop and you know that's why when you said that this should have been like a um a, a double a two, you know a two hour a two hour season premiere like you're right yeah. because there's so many different little elements that are small but Morgan calls it because he sees her and how she interacts and how she's always looking and watching on the go. And you see that come into play. And just to see Carol, her kind of passive-aggressive, happy homemaker facade she uses with all the people in the town of Alexandria. And then to go into beast mode and just start, you know, murking these people and put under the skies and everything. Not Whereas only that, I of, mean, she wasn't just, you know, going around systematically killing people. She also was very ruthlessly letting people die and not save them to not reveal her position as she worked her way to the armory. You know, like she had a bigger picture, which was I got to protect the guns. And that meant she ran by like a lot of people who were getting chased down, a lot of people who are already getting hacked up. And she, you know, to not reveal her position because at that point there wasn't any gunfire. So that in itself was pretty, you know, pretty calculated and cunning and ruthless. You know, just her, you know, feline, you know, maneuvering through the town as it's being overrun. Yeah, I mean, her suit first, never mind asking questions. <laughs> that it was like, I, it was such a, a brutal force. You know, it was very, she just reminded me of the Punisher. And that's what it was, you know, whereas I think Morgan um, taking taking that prisoner that Carol just rolled up on, saw he was down there and shot him. You know, it's like, well, it would have been kind of useful to have the prisoner so that you can interrogate him and see what the hell's going right. on and learn more about this force that just attacked you and maybe find out, you know, who the, the, uh, the traitor is or, or whatever. But, I mean, she was just a force of nature. And I think that Morgan kind of, it planted a lot of seeds for what's coming, you know, in future episodes because you see Morgan and he's kind of adapting to the Rick and how Rick has become. And his his whole philosophical argument with Rick was, you aren't this person, you know, you're somebody different. I mean, you aren't you aren't you aren't the different person you become. You're still this other guy. And Morgan is kind of getting a taste of the fact that you have to adapt to this world, you know, because it will chew you up and spit you out. Well, he's sort of coming full circle because he went. You know, he was in that state, you know, where he was like feral, you know, like he had lost his mind, you know, in the episode clear um, from like season three, I think. So 
he he's had more of a journey almost than any of our other characters because he or I guess Rick has sort of gone to the edge and actually did lose his mind for a while when he was taking phone calls from Laurie and stuff. But um, you know, Morgan actually had like this is Morgan's past that point, and and now he now he might have to uh, have to backtrack. I mean, one thing I'm sure of: Morgan has not killed his last man. You know, this season, I'm sure that you know there's going to be some sort of moment for him that's like, you know, Carol in this episode where he does need to take out, like, 15 people. Well, um, I mean, leading into the season, all the promos kind of gave you the feeling that Morgan and Rick would be kind of at odds and butting heads. And so we kind of see that play out in a sense with Morgan and Carol, you know, how that would go, because Carol is kind of clearly aligned with Rick's stance, you know, in yes. order to survive. So and I of, think Michonne is more moderate like Morgan. You know, and, Michonne's the one who took out Rick when he went nuts, you know, towards the end of last season. She actually put him down. And as far as I know, you know, they haven't switched over. I mean, she's still the sheriff of the town, right? Um, yeah. I mean, what, so, what we see here, though, is um, we see, I mean, the solution is probably somewhere in between. You know, you don't want to be as passive right. as Morgan and you don't want to be as overly aggressive as Carol and Rick. Right. You know, you need well, to it's just his, his, his Morgan's thing. It's just it doesn't work in that world because you expect people to act human and they're animals. Exactly. But um, all right. So uh, speaking of animals, uh, Go- Gotham has continued their rise of the villains. Uh, they've been calling each of these. This is what the season is. And I thought it was a tremendous drop in quality, a huge step back from the first three episodes, which were like this revelation and now we're back to like sort of much like a, a lot of the mistakes from the first season. I thought the tone was all over the place. Michael Chiklis, I think, is really hammy and playing this. You know, he comes in as this uh, police captain and he forms this strike force, which, you know, had had a bunch of people of color on it. But the whole like recruiting them and training them thing was like the most stereotypical like you've seen you know perfunctory you've seen it so many times and um i don't know they 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 tried to focus on theo galvan and the and the um and and the penguin after having three really great episodes focusing on uh jerome and uh, yeah i i don't know what 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 did you think I mean, Edward Nigma macking on Miss Kringle. I mean, what was that, like 20 minutes of that? That was outrageous. I mean, Gotham is what Gotham is. You know, it's kind of right. campy, kind of over the top in its own way. I think in Gotham, the the bit with Michael Chiklis, it's what, you know, we've come to expect. You know, Gotham has got, is a very kind of campy, kind of over the top show. And we're getting it with all the villains. And he kind of comes in and he's right in step with everything else we've seen. You know, kind of um, that overinflated and kind of scene chewing you know performance you know what i mean so um it's a different side of michael chiklis and that kind of it kind of just had this kind of pt barnum <laughs> yeah quality i, I, I agree him. and and it's almost like why did they even need him couldn't couldn't bullock and gordon have formed that school couldn't someone have been like all right we need to form a special squad bullock and gordon you do it you know what i mean like done you know like you don't have to introduce a whole new character and 
I I don't know. Well, I the, I just feel like the first question is like where the hell has he been? Where was he for the first season of Gotham? Right. You would think I, he was- you know it's just uh, you know the show really had something special with Fish Mooney. The show had something special with Jerome, but it's so wildly inconsistent uh, that it, it, it's. I mean, it's certainly if it continues like this. I mean, I, I don't know if we can, you know, keep it as a weekly in the uh, in the in the ever expanding special delivery. But um, <laughs> but I mean, you, you have know, to. The, it's like a live action cartoon. You know what I mean? You yeah, have to kind but of there's a lot of cartoons it. that are better than Gotham. Hey, Rick and Morty. But um, yeah, but yeah, right. <laughs> you have to go into it kind of knowing what it is, man. And and that's the thing with Gotham. Like I enjoy it for pure popcorn entertainment. Like, I long ago kind of left any semblance of hope that it would really be a cool um, a cool kind of origin or, or, or precursor to the Batman mythos. Because right. if you look at, like, there used to be Gotham Central, which was a comic book. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that's what I was hoping for. Which Yeah, and that's what I initially kind of thought that we were going to I mean, that was The Wire like. set in Gotham, you know? Yeah, so that type of good. vibe. You know, I thought it was going to be something. But then it's like, this is Fox, you know? And they don't have they don't they never really let their shows have a long leash anyway unless they perform, and it's particularly genre shows. So, you know, Fox will cut you in a minute. Yeah, and I mean, I gotta say, you know, when compared with the other comic book shows, I mean, Arrow has had its problems, but Arrow has consistently been a better show, and The Flash, forget about it. I mean, The Flash is just like I mean, it knows what it is, and it's it just hits home runs, you know, regularly, you know. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to start talking about the flash Have you, uh, do you got anything else to add about Gotham? I was about to say, did you think the flash hit a home run with this last episode? I did. So the flash, uh, we actually, so didn't talk about it. I thought we might, uh, talk about the premiere on the episode, but so yeah, this is the first time we're talking about season two of the flash on fan bros so um yeah i i thought both the premiere and and the second episode were fantastic um i mean there were so many easter eggs all over the place in both of those episodes but just for people who don't know after world war ii uh superheroes fell out of favor and there were no superhero comics for the first half of the 1950s it was all like detective comics and romance comics and rock and roll comics and a lot of licensed comics and um in 1956 gardner fox who was a writer and julie schwartz who was an editor decided to re uh revamp the old flash who was jay garrick in in the golden age and in the showcase comic introduced barry allen in 1956 and that's the first silver age character which ushered in all of the uh superheroes i you know superman batman and wonder woman were still being published but they weren't like the big sellers at the time they had really lost a lot of readers and by 1960 you know gardner fox was writing and julia schwartz was editing the justice league and there was a whole mess of superheroes and that caused marvel to basically Stan Lee, you know, to create the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. And so everything from today actually comes from that one Flash con- comic, which was the basis of the uh, the episode of the second episode of The Flash called Flash of Two Worlds, which that comic was also uh, or no, Showcase 4 didn't. But there was a famous Flash comic where Jay Garrick and um, 
and Barry Allen first meet, and that one's called Flash of Two Worlds, as is this episode. And, and this you has know, been your moment in geek, brought to you by Chief yes. Media. But no, this I mean it's really deep. I mean all the and all the stuff that they they throw in. There's so many references. Um, like it's imp- I'm sure there's a website somewhere that you can you can check out. But you know, just really referencing the comic history. And there's there's actually a moment that they restage the cover of that Flash of Two Worlds issues uh, issue. Um, Yep, and Jay Garrick is played by Teddy Sears. What What do you think about Jay Garrick? Oh, well, uh, Jay Garrick, I thought he was perfect. I think he's perfectly yeah. cast. Um, I think he has the right amount of charisma and kind of, um, he just comes across as like a, a not a, a hardened veteran, but he just seemed like he's had more experience being the Flash. And you know, when he came in, you kind of believed him. You kind of had that, that instant kind of trust in him. Um, so that it would kind of, when Barry's kind of showing all this mistrust and distrust, it seems funny, you know what I mean? So, because of how earnest his character is, in a way. But over the first two episodes, I think that The Flash has kind of hit the ground running, you know, for, pardon the pun. Yeah, um, absolutely. But just diving kind of headlong into this multiverse concept, because here in in episode two, we're already getting it explained. You know, we got a taste of it in the first episode, um, with the Atom Smasher bit. I think the, the biggest failing of Flash, though, is that the villains just aren't really getting their just due. You know, they're kind of... Um... Well, he has notoriously sort of weird villains, and I, I don't know, I thought they did a really good job with Captain Cold and, and, and one or two of the others. Yeah, but in general, they kind of... They're, they're so... Yeah, they feel a little villain of the like, week Like, both Adam Smasher and Sand Demon definitely felt not like... Only, but not only villain of the week, but just kind of like um, like whipped cream on a cupcake or something. You know, like this little kind of insignificant extra. Because the, the heart of the episode, the crux of the episodes usually, you know, deal with something that Barry's dealing with or, or something else. You know, where... And you don't really right. get to kind of... Um, get too much detail about these villains in a way that so they aren't really developed they're very much painted in broad strokes well and and i think you know the yeah they were the whipped cream because in this episode the concept of the multiverse was the cupcake you know that was what was you know the main thing to take from this episode and it actually ends with an awesome um little stinger that shows star labs I don't know. Was that the future? Was that Earth 2? I think that was Earth 2, Harrison Wells. Yeah, Earth 2. So that was pretty... I mean, the fact that they're bringing in the Earth 2 stuff and the multiverse stuff, they brought in time travel last time. Barry's still learning new... I thought there was a dope thing where Jay taught Barry like something he could do with his speed. Um, They're juggling a lot, and it's definitely working. And having to not have iris be a dumbass is also really i think you know improved the show oh just also joe's ex who i is is iris's mom shows up um, i I thought that was kind of the one thing that kind of seemed a little overblown you know i mean it it played out fine but it's kind of like they have so much they're juggling and then we're going to kind of like shove this extra bit in that we're going to get to later right I, i don't know it just kind of you know, well, they're set, it, it set at the table was, for the not, season. I'm not complaining about it, but it just kind of seemed like, okay, you know, they're, they're filling the episode as it is. Well, I like Joe a lot, the character. I like Jesse Morton. Yeah, I think it's dope that they're definitely. giving him stuff, like, outside of 
outside, you know, so that he exists as a, you know, not just as like a dude who helps Barry, you know what I mean? Like, um, he has his own story, his own life, his own shit that he's got to deal with. And so in terms of that, yeah, you know, his, you know, ridiculously beautiful ex showing up. Yeah, maybe not the the, the dopest (laughs) thing, but it gives him. The coolest thing about the Flash, though, is that and that really separates it from Gotham and separates it from Arrow is that these are a bunch of kind of amusing, likable characters. You know, they all are charming in their own way. Even Iris. I mean, they just kind oh, of yeah, wrote yeah. as kind of stupid, but she still kind of like her in a way. And, and that's the thing. They all kind of had their own story. And so to me, everybody in Flash seems more fully formed except for the villains, you know, because you kind of know right. what's going on with, with, with Barry, of course. But you also get Joe and his own travails. You also get um, Caitlin and uh, Cisco kind of dealing with the vibe stuff. And so I like the fact that kind of everybody has their own stories kind of playing out in their own way. And they don't they don't interfere with the main thing going on. But it does kind of leave that that main thing in terms of the villain. Um, not you know that's why you don't have enough time to develop a villain. You know. Yeah, because- I mean, I, I think you're definitely right. Uh, the only the only thing I would disagree with is the. The main villain, you know, in um, the Reverse Flash, and I'm assuming we'll get a lot more with Professor Zoom, is that um, I just think, yeah, the villain of the weeks, they they definitely don't go into them, with the exception of Captain Cold, who's appeared like three times. But um, yeah, I mean, well, that's what I mean. I'm talking about the villains of the week. Yeah, the villains they of the week, I agree, are pretty. They're very, very interchangeable. They're just sort of these guest stars who show up. They get beat by the end of the episode. Occasionally, Green Arrow comes and helps them out, but um, you know, essentially, they're 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 definitely the the second uh, you know they're secondary to the story as opposed to I agree the our main characters. There are a lot of characters, um, and then uh, you know Barry and 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 so like this this season Barry feels guilty because uh, people died even though you know the universe got saved or certainly uh, the city got saved Central City got saved but um, Barry you know is pushing everyone away and he doesn't trust Jay Garrick and all of that works but ultimately I mean we need him to come back uh, the second season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer opened up the same way and um, you know within a couple episodes of course the whole gang had gotten back together and everything was hunky dory but I'm 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 giving yeah I give the flash you know the highest marks pretty much um, I really yeah, enjoy but, it oh what I mean what I see happening here is kind of what you're saying but also I think that um, the sacrifice of Ronnie you know is what's kind of pushing Barry right now but Ronnie's basically probably gonna we're gonna find out that he's on some other earth Exactly. And separated from Stein. I think this is what's going to lead to Jason Rush having to um, bond and get the new incarnation of Firestorm uh, because Ronnie's not on this particular multiverse anymore. So I think that'll end up kind of resolving itself at some point, you know, in time. But, right. you know. Even, oh yeah, and Cisco's got something going on because he did die. And then in an well, alternate timeline or something. And and then, of course, he's making reference to feeling vibes, which well, a lot Cisco of people. Cisco is vibe. Right, people have yeah. said Cisco is vibe. So, um, you know, all he needs is the shades and the shoulder pads. Let's, but, let's um, hope not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I... Uh, but they're playing Cisco in a really cool way. I mean, oh, I, yeah. how he's become vibe has been like, this is like the most backdoor of backdoor pilots, you know? Yes. Because it's been happening all along, and P- 
people weren't aware of it, you know, and that's the thing that's made it cool. And he finally, you know, verbalizes, you know, vibe and puts that out there. And I think it's, it's, it's a cool take because vibe is traditionally kind of a cornball character. Um, yes. And, and he's from like the worst, the worst, the Justice League Detroit, which was like the worst Justice League team. Uh, it really, uh, it had a lot. I mean, we're talking like C list uh, DC characters. I mean, not, I mean, some of them were dope, but. You know, it did have Vixen, it did have Gypsy, it had Steel, but not the John Henry Iron Steel. It had Vibe, it had Martian Manhunter, and that might have been it. Yeah, uh, JLA Detroit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, did you want to, uh, you wanted to talk about, uh, for, for a couple of weeks now, uh, we've been uh, wanting to talk about the Blacklist, so uh, do you want to, want to take it away? Oh, hell yeah. The Blacklist is back and it's dope as always. Uh, this season basically features uh, spoilers for anybody who's not seen the Blacklist, um, but it basically features Red and Elizabeth on a run. Now they're both on the most wanted list. Um, and she's kind of being hunted because, of course, it's a typical, you know, falsely accused of a crime, although she kind of did commit murder and some other things. So she's done her fair share of dirt. But the blacklist is still just a strong show um, dealing with it's kind of. Now, is he manipulating her or is, did she do everything? I'm sure she did it thinking it was the right thing. Do we know if whatever she did was no. the right thing or not? Or is Red manipulating her? No, she did the right thing. Well, what's happened is that she's murdered. I think he was the district attorney or the federal, the attorney general, uh, whatever Eric Holder's title would be. Um, she murdered him because he's he's in league with this cabal, and the cabal is like the nefarious kind of dark force behind all these incidents or whatever that Red is fighting against. But the cabal has basically made her into enemy number public enemy number one. Um, and so now her old team is hunting after, except for Cooper, who uh, was who was the uh, lead of the um, task force, who's now kind of been demoted because he some he, he didn't stop her. He didn't aid in a better, but he just didn't stop her from um, getting away. So now her old partner is going after her and they're all trying to track down Reddington. But at the same time, Red is still playing everybody as, you know, as doing what he does. I mean, he's, you know, seven steps ahead. He's what, you know, he's a ghost spirit animal. He's the guy that right. goes from <laughs> from power, wishes he could be. Yes. Red Reddington always has move within move within move, but he still takes his lumps and he does his thing. Um, so there, but now, you know, he's trying to help Elizabeth out uh, as they try to clear her name. And they also try to keep one step ahead of the feds, plus go after, the, you know, go on the offensive against the cabal. So uh, these last couple of episodes have really dealt with them trying to deal with, you know, being hunted. Um, and it's been really cool. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. That's the, the cool thing about the blacklist is that it started out with one conceit. And had it continued to play on that one thing uh, in a straightforward manner, then the show would have gotten tired. But what's cool about it is that it managed to actually... That one conceit being that, you know, Red has this blacklist of all these kind of villains and these these characters that kind of exist between the cracks. And it's still doing that, but it's still telling this overarching story. So it's it's it's, it's kept that main conceit of we're going to have kind of like a, a villain of the week in a sense, even though the people on the blacklist aren't always villains per se. They're, they're definitely criminals, but they aren't the crux of the show or the crux of episodes. 
And um, so it still kept that, but then it's it's weaved this whole other story into it and out of you know in and around it that's made that keeps the show fresh. Um, and it's dope. I mean, watch the blacklist. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I started watching Person of Interest, which I believe started around the same time, maybe a year before, and that's a show that really started. I've just finished the first season and. That's a show that definitely started as one thing and turned into another, and it was a much wider, you know, much, much, it's a much wider, you know, story than you would have expected. And the same thing with Fringe, which goes back a few years further, but that really started as one thing and totally turned into something else. And it, it's an interesting thing where they use, like, sort of, you know, a, 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 you know, villain of the week or procedural type, you know, framework to use as a springboard or jumping off point to explore like, you know, a, a you know, a really detailed, crazy, you know, world that you get sucked into. Um, well, I mean, so, yeah. So yeah. watch, uh, watch, watch the blacklist and watch uh, person of interest. Well, I mean, speaking of person of interest, you also, which was uh, Taraji P. Henson's show. Yes, you also had exactly. New Perfect segue. Of Empire this week, where uh, Cookie and Lucius and the rest of the Lion family were kind of doing their thing and at each other's throats. Um, and Empire, you know, <laughs> it just rolls on. It, it knows what it is. Everybody seems to be having fun. It's an entertaining show. And, you know, you, you kind of, you have to know what you're getting when you get into it. So it's more of the, the cat fighting and songs and, you know, the, the soundtrack and all the manipulation. I still think that uh, Lucius Line is probably one of the best villainous creations simply because he is a straight up asshole and pure D villain who's out for himself. I mean, a manipulator. And it's just, and Terrence Howard is playing him perfectly. I think that given Terrence's personal history and all the kind of the people who view him as a real life villain, <laughs> that um, he's able to kind of really add uh, a level, an extra depth to this role that really um, takes it takes his uh, what would be kind of a basic performance to another level that uh, people really kind of are able to that really resonates with people. And so Lucius Lyons is is the King Lear in the King Lear uh, analogy. Like there's, you know, right? Because people say Empire is loosely based on King Lear. You know, King Lear had three kids and he had to divide up his kingdom among them. And then, you know, a lot of bad shit happens and then he goes crazy. And well, so I guess that's... Lucius that's... Lyons is like the Lex Luthor of right. King Lear. Because right. Lucius is... <laughs> <laughs> Lucius is a heartless fucking villain. I like Lear and Lucius and Lex out, and Luthor Lu and Lucius yeah. Lion Lear. Yes, because he is out for himself, and he's another one of those guys. He just you know him red red. These are manipulators and people who they they, they play chess, not checkers. You know they're always kind of a couple two or three steps ahead, and they're making moves. I mean Lucius, you know he the first. This is what episode three, I think three or four. But, I think it's um, four. He goes from being in jail to um, having Chris Rock's character murdered because right. you know he knows how to manipulate people. He goes to uh, from that to getting out of jail um, and kind of getting back on the scene. And there there was going to be this kind of coup to uh, a corporate takeover, and he basically co-ops the cookies investor and turns her against him, and he ends up taking his company back. I mean, Lucius just is always two or three steps ahead, you know. And but you also 
see it take place. You know, you get hints of it and you see it play out. And he does it with a wicked smile, you know, and he does his thing. I mean, in this episode, he told Frank in, in episode one that, you know, hey, I'm going to sign your daughter and, you know, I'm going to put that thing in her. And now you see him making moves and following up on that, trying to sign his, his daughter so that he can start gutter face, label, gutter labels or whatever the damn record label name is. But uh, for, for the hardcore rap. So I guess my question is, is Lucius Lyons in Red's blacklist? He damn sure would be. Yep. Uh, Red would go to Lucius, and they would probably ha- that would be a great conversation between. And Red wait, are they and both Lucius. on Fox? Can they make it happen? <laughs> no, no, no. Blacklist is NBC. Oh, NBC yeah, it'll never happen. But that man. would be dope as yes. fuck. That would Lucius be the crossover. Because Red is a dude like he always tells these stories that are they could be totally abstract but somehow relevant. But he Red does not fuck around. You know, in the same way that Lucius does not fuck around. Like, these people get shit done. And that's what... Watching Blacklist and watching Empire, and that's... You see the issues with power, you know, and with how they kind of have failed the character of Ghost and how they've written him. Because Ghost should be on this same type of level where he's this, you know, master manipulator. But power goes through this whole thing of they tell, but they never show. There's also the issue, I think, also with, like, he's chosen to, you know, be a father to his kids, and he's chosen to be, you know, in love with Angela or whatever, and, like, on, you know, Lucius and, and Red have basically, you know... No, they, that, that has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Because, no, you don't think that they've, like, you know, walled no, themselves no, off, no. you know, emotionally? No. no? I mean... Red, I mean, def- Red's got his whatever, daughter. Whatever the nature of the relationship with Liz, because you don't know if he's, she's his daughter or they, they haven't clearly explained like who the hell they are or what the relationship is. But he clearly has affection for her. But Red also clearly has he has affection for the team, you know, um, right. for Wrestler, for Samir. I mean, he's done stuff to help all the different agents at some point in time, but it's also forwarded his agenda. You know, Red is looking out for himself and what he's trying to accomplish, but he puts... Uh, um, Elizabeth's above that. But you also see his relationship with Dembe. Dembe is his African, this child soldier from Africa who he basically took in and raised as a son. And, Dem, you know, Dembe would give his life for Red, but you clearly see Red would give his life for Dembe. I right. mean, and, and that's happened, you know. So Red clearly has bonds with these people. And and they've, so, so to, to say that um, with, with, uh, with power and ghosts and him and his situation with his son, like, they haven't developed even that, you know? I mean, he kind of hangs with his son, and you see he's a father to his kid, but it's like they just haven't weaved it away. They haven't done it in the same way. You know, they haven't developed the character in the same way that you can see with, with right. Red in, in, on Empire. I mean, even with um with uh, Power, Lucius is about Lucius, and he's definitely an evil, self-centered individual. Um, and I don't think he, he necessarily... He has an affection for his family, but I don't think he really loves them outside of how they can be of use. He loves himself first and foremost. Right. You know, and that's the thing that they develop there. They show that he uses them. They're chess pieces. You know, he uses them and plays them against each other. I mean, he loved Cookie at one point in time, but now he just is out for himself. So right. No, and, but that's what I'm saying. These guys are well. I guess not red, but yeah. I mean, like Ghost falls into on you know on power. Ghost falls into the category of he's not just out for himself. If he was just out for himself, but it's you know, like he, Chico. He's, he's, I mean, because 
his son isn't around enough, you know, for th- they haven't developed it. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like you can't really say that. He's played video games with him maybe once or twice. But normally it's the dude Sean who was picking right. him up all the time. So well, it's like not anymore. But yeah. <laughs> True. But I mean you Kids. never they never develop their relationship. And we don't we've seen the daughter maybe Three times, twice, three times. No, you know it's what true. I mean? Like, so you, you don't get it, and that's the thing with it's about you know the flaw with power is character development. Develop these relationships so that you care what happens. That's why it's like with Angela, she could get kept, and people would cheer, and nobody, uh, and people would not care because they haven't developed the situation. You don't know why he likes her. You know what I mean? You don't know why right. she digs him. You know, and so it's No, not they don't there. show it. They tell it. Like, you constantly hear, oh, she was the one that got away in high school. But wait, what? we got, uh, we, we got way off, uh, into the weeds here with, uh, with our, uh, power versus, uh, blacklist versus, uh, empire. Anyway, check out blacklist. Uh, definitely check it out. Check out, uh, empire is going on there in the beginning of their seasons. And they both look to be great and entertaining and continuing uh, their co- successful runs. Um, yeah, and I wanted to shout out. So a couple things started. Uh, Star Wars Rebels actually just had its second episode, I believe. And, oh, nice, uh, nice, nice. Yeah, star- that, and I think that's a great show. I don't know if you're watching it. I think it's definitely, you know, that and Clone Wars are way better than the prequels and definitely fully in the spirit of... Um, you know, Star Wars of, of, of the original trilogy. And uh, we got some really great footage at Comic-Con of Sarah Michelle Gellar, who's going to be the uh, villain this season, as well as uh, Dave Filoni, the, uh, the writer-producer, who also is a writer-producer on Clone Wars, just talking about, like, all the conversations with George Lucas and all the, you know, really insane behind-the-scenes stuff and, and things that you can expect. So I I thought that that had gone up on fanbros.com but uh maybe maybe it hasn't. However, there is going to be a big that big package of Gotham interviews is going up tomorrow and I know you were there for that uh Ella and so you who who did you guys talk to? Michael Chiklis, um Ben McKenzie who plays uh Jim Gordon. Um is it Jeremy Fain, Jeff uh no James Fain. James, James uh, Frayne is, yeah, yeah Theo Gal- Val- Galavan, um, the Riddler and Penguin. I mean, the whole cast is just, you know, they're wonderful and they have, you know, shared some great stories. A lot of uh, uh, good stuff came from the interviews. We discussed their characters and kind of what to expect from the upcoming season. So you guys will definitely have to check that out uh, as, it, as we release all of our Comic-Con footage on fanbros.com. Yeah, so that that should be up, uh, you know, on, on Monday or Tuesday. Um, and... Uh, Last week I mentioned that there was a medieval show that I had been read about that was really good. It's called The Last Kingdom, and I definitely thought it was a lot better than The Bastard Executioner. It's more in lines with, like, Vikings or something like that. It's on BBC America. There have been two episodes. They've both been really good. If you're a Game of Thrones fan and you want to see, you know, a lot of white dudes in chainmail killing each other... But with good, you know, good acting and good character, good writing and all that other stuff that I, I thought was a little lacking in Bastard Executioner, you check out Last Kingdom. And finally, uh, The Nick uh, uh, just uh, premiered, uh, the second season premiered. That's a, I'm a really big fan of that. That was my second favorite show of last year after uh, the first season of True Detective. Um 
we're going to be talking more about that and uh, either this week or next week on the regular episode of Fan Bros. We're going to have uh, a guest from the Nick, so we're very excited for that. And in, in heavier uh, viewing, uh, Beasts of No Nation uh, just premiered on Netflix. It's their first original movie, and it's directed by Kari uh, Fukunawa, the the director of uh, the first season of True Detective, and it stars Idris Elba. And it's definitely, well, you know, it really stars this uh, child actor. It's about child soldiers in an unnamed African republic. And Idris Elba is the charismatic commander who recruits the child soldiers and, and does give them purpose somewhat, but also, you know, uses them like toilet paper. Um Anyway, it's really good. It's really, uh, Idris is great. It's really well directed. But the kid is a revelation. And I don't know the actor's name, but the uh, child actor who plays the main character, Agu, is just incredible. Um, and the, the movie is really incredible. Um, but it's definitely not for the faint of heart. But I, I think I highly recommend that everyone see it. Um, and uh, yeah, Beast Beasts of No Nation. That's uh, Netflix. That's their movie version of House of Cards. It's their first first movie. And uh, I think that's it. Anything else uh, on your plate left? Uh, no, sir. We covered everything. I think so for this week. So uh, we'll be back and uh, talking about talking about these shows and more. Although if Gotham continues its trajectory, I don't know if it's gonna. If it's going to keep getting featured every week. And, um, you know, Arrow is continued being Arrow. And uh, Damien Dark, the villain, seems to be the best thing about that. And there's some good flashbacks. Ollie's back on the island in the flashbacks. Corto Maltese. But, um, yeah, we'll talk more about the Nick in upcoming weeks. And, um, you know, we got to see how uh, how Rick and the rest of them react to the uh, the raid on Alexandria. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. All right. Peace. Live long and prosper. If you're a fan of anything, TV, movie, whatever's popping on the internet, comic books, pop culture and all that, you are a fan. 